Chapter Two of Pyrrhus by Jacob Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Cassander, B.C. three twenty to three sixteen. Although Antipater, on his return to Macedon, came back loaded with honors and in the full and triumphant possession of power his situation was still not without its difficulties he had for enemies in macedon two of the most violent and unmanageable women that ever lived olympias and eurydice who quarrelled with him incessantly and who hated each other even more than they hated him olympias was at this time in epirus she remained there because she did not choose to put herself under antipater's power by residing in macedon she succeeded however by her manoeuvres and intrigues in giving antipater a great deal of trouble her ancient animosity against him had been very much increased and aggravated by the failure of her plan for marrying her daughter cleopatra to perdiccas through the advances which antipater made in behalf of his daughter nicaea and though nicaea and perdiccas were now dead yet the transaction was an offence which such a woman as olympias never could forgive eurydice was a still greater source of annoyance and embarrassment to antipater than olympias herself she was a woman of very masculine turn of mind and she had been brought up by her mother sinan to martial exercises such as those to which young men in those days were customarily trained she could shoot arrows and throw the javelin and ride on horseback at the head of a troop of armed men as soon as she was married to philip she began at once to assume an air of authority thinking apparently that she herself being the wife of the king was entitled to a much greater share of the regal authority than the generals who as she considered them were merely his tutors and guardians or at most only military agents appointed to execute his will during the memorable expedition into egypt perdiccas had found it very difficult to exercise any control over her and after the death of perdiccas she assumed a more lofty and imperious tone than ever she quarrelled incessantly with pithon the commander of the army on the return from egypt and she made the most resolute and determined opposition to the appointment of antipater as the custodian of the persons of the kings the place where the consultation was held at which this appointment was made was triparadisus in syria this was the place where the expedition of antipater coming from asia minor met the army of egypt 
on its return as soon as the junction of the two armies was effected and the grand council was convened eurydice made the most violent opposition to the proceedings antipater reproved her for evincing such turbulence and insubordination of spirit this made her more angry than ever and when at length antipater was appointed to the regency she went out and made a formal harangue to the army in which she denounced antipater in the severest terms and loaded him with criminations and reproaches and endeavoured to incite the soldiers to a revolt antipater endeavoured to defend himself against these accusations by a calm reply but the influence which eurydice's tempestuous eloquence exerted on the minds of the soldiery was too much for him a very serious riot ensued which threatened to lead to the most disastrous results for a time antipater's life was in most imminent danger and he was saved only by the interposition of some of the other generals who hazarded their own lives to rescue him from the enraged soldiery the excitement of this scene gradually subsided and as the generals persisted in the arrangement which they had made eurydice found herself forced to submit to it she had in fact no real power in her hands except that of making temporary mischief and disturbance and as is usually the case with characters like hers when she found that those around her could not be driven from their ground by her fractiousness and obstinacy she submitted herself to the necessity of the case though in a moody and sullen manner such were the relations which antipater and eurydice bore to each other on the return of antipater to macedon the troubles however in his government which antipater might have reasonably expected to arise from his connection with olympias and eurydice were destined to a very short continuance so far as he personally was concerned for not long after his return to macedon he fell sick of a dangerous disease under which it was soon evident that the vital principle at the advanced age to which he had attained must soon succumb in fact antipater himself soon gave up all hopes of recovery and began at once to make arrangements for the final surrender of his power it will be recollected that when craterus came from asia to macedon about the time of alexander's death he brought with him a general named polyspurchon who though nominally second in command really had charge of the army on the march craterus himself being at the time an invalid when some time afterward antipater and craterus set out on their expedition to asia in the war against perdiccas polysperchon was left in charge of the kingdom of macedon 
to govern it as regent until antipater should return antipater had a son named cassander who was a general in his army cassander naturally expected that during the absence of his father the kingdom would be committed to his charge for some reason or other however antipater had preferred polyspurchon and had entrusted the government to him polyspurchon had of course become acquainted with the duties of government and had acquired an extensive knowledge of macedonian affairs he had governed well too and the people were accustomed to his sway antipater concluded therefore that it would be better to continue polyspurchon in power after his death rather than to displace polyspurchon for the sake of advancing his son cassander he therefore made provision for giving to cassander a very high command in the army but he gave polyspurchon the kingdom this act though cassander himself never forgave it raised antipater to a higher place than ever in the estimation of mankind they said that he did what no monarch ever did before in determining the great question of the succession he made the aggrandizement of his own family give place to the welfare of the realm antipater on his deathbed among other counsels which he gave to polyspurchon warned him very earnestly against the danger of yielding to any woman whatever a share in the control of public affairs woman he said was from her very nature the creature of impulse and was swayed in all her conduct by the emotions and passions of her heart she possessed none of the calm considerate and self-controlling principles of wisdom and prudence so essential for the proper administration of the affairs of states and nations these cautions as antipater uttered them were expressed in general terms but they were understood to refer to olympias and eurydice whom it had always been very difficult to control and who of course when antipater should be removed from the scene might be expected to come forward with a spirit more obtrusive and unmanageable than ever these counsels however of the dying king seemed to have had very little effect upon polyspurchon for one of the first measures of his government after antipater was dead was to send to epirus to invite olympias to return to macedon this measure was decided upon in a grand council which polyspurchon convened to deliberate on the state of public affairs as soon as the government came into his hands polyspurchon thought that he should greatly strengthen his administration by enlisting olympias on his side she was held in great veneration by all the people of macedon not on account of any personal qualities which she possessed 
to entitle her to such regard but because she was the mother of alexander polly's birchon therefore considered it very important to secure her influence and the prestige of her name in his favour at the same time while he thus sought to propitiate olympias he neglected cassander and all the other members of antipater's family he considered them doubtless as rivals and antagonists whom he was to keep down by every means in his power cassander who was a man of a very bold determined and ambitious spirit remained quietly in polly's birchon's court for a little time watching attentively all that was done and resolving silently in his mind the question what course he himself should pursue at length he formed a small party of his friends to go away on a hunting excursion when he reached a safe distance from the court of polly's birchon he called his friends around him and informed them that he had resolved not to submit to the usurpation of polly's birchon who in assuming the throne of macedon had seized what rightfully belonged he said to him cassander as his father's son and heir he invited his friends to join him in the enterprise of deposing polly's birchon and assuming the crown he urged this undertaking upon them with very specious arguments it was the only course of safety for them as well as for him since they that is the friends to whom cassander was making these proposals had all been friends of antipater and olympias whom polly's birchon was about to take into his counsels hated the very name of antipater and would evince undoubtedly the most unrelenting hostility to all whom she should consider as having been his friends he was confident he said that the asiatic princes and generals would espouse his cause they had been warmly attached to antipater and would not willingly see his son and rightful successor deprived of his legitimate rights besides philip and eurydice would join him they had everything to fear from olympias and would of course oppose the power of polly's birchon now that he had determined to ally himself to her the friends of cassander very readily agreed to his proposal and the result proved the truth of his predictions the asiatic princes furnished cassander with very efficient aid in his attempt to depose his rival olympias adhered to polly's birchon while eurydice favoured cassander's cause a terrible conflict ensued it was waged for some time in greece and in other countries more or less remote from macedon the advantage in the combats being sometimes on one side and sometimes on the other it is not necessary to detail here the events which occurred in the contest so long as the theatre of war was beyond the frontiers of macedon for the parties with whom 
we are now particularly dealing were not directly affected by the conflict until it came nearer home it ought here to be stated that olympias did not at first accept the invitation to return to macedon which polly's birchon sent to her she hesitated she consulted with her friends and they were not decided in respect to the course which it would be best for her to pursue she had made a great many enemies in macedon during her former residence there and she knew well that she would have a great deal to fear from their hostility in case she should return and thus put herself again as it were into their power then besides it was quite uncertain what course affairs in macedon would finally take antipater had bequeathed the kingdom to polly's birchon it was true but there might be great doubt whether the people would acquiesce in this decision and allow the supreme power to remain quietly in polly's birchon's hands she concluded therefore to remain a short time where she was till she could see how the case would finally turn she accordingly continued to reside in epirus keeping up however a continual correspondence with polly's birchon in respect to the measures of his government and watching the progress of the war between him and cassander in greece when that war broke out with the utmost solicitude and anxiety cassander proved to be too strong for polly's birchon in greece he had obtained large bodies of troops from his asiatic allies and he manoeuvred and managed these forces with so much bravery and skill that polly's birchon could not dislodge him from the country a somewhat curious incident occurred on one occasion during the campaign which illustrates the modes of warfare practised in those days it seems that one of the cities of peloponnesus named megalopolis was on the side of cassander and when polly's birchon sent them a summons to surrender to him and acknowledge his authority they withdrew all their property and the whole of their population within the walls and bid him defiance polly's birchon then advanced and laid siege to the city after fully investing the city and commencing operations on various sides to occupy the attention of the garrison he employed a corps of sappers and miners in secretly undermining a portion of the wall the mode of procedure in operations like this was to dig a subterranean passage leading to the foundations of the wall and then as fast as these foundations were removed to substitute props to support this superincumbent mass until all was ready for the springing of the mine when the excavations were completed the props were suddenly pulled away and the wall would cave in to the great astonishment of the besieged who if the operation had been skilfully performed knew nothing of the danger 
until the final consummation of it opened suddenly before their eyes a great breach in their defences polly's birchon's mine was so successful that three towers fell into it with all the wall connecting them these towers came down with a terrific crash the materials of which they had been composed lying after the fall half buried in the ground a mass of ruins the garrison of the city immediately repaired in great numbers to the spot to prevent the ingress of the enemy while on the other hand a strong detachment of troops rushed forward from the camp of polly's birchon to force their way through the breach into the city a very desperate conflict ensued and while the men of the city were thus engaged in keeping back the invaders the women and children were employed in throwing up a line of entrenchments further within to cover the opening which had been made in the wall the people of the city gained the victory in the combat the storming party were driven back and the besieged were beginning to congratulate themselves on their escape from the danger which had threatened them when they were suddenly terrified beyond measure by the tidings that the besiegers were arranging a train of elephants to bring in through the breach elephants were often used for war in those days in asiatic countries but they had seldom appeared in greece polly's birchon however had a number of them in the train of his army and the soldiers of megalopolis were overwhelmed with consternation at the prospect of being trampled under foot by these huge beasts wholly ignorant as they were of the means of contending against them it happened however that there was in the city of megalopolis at this time a soldier named damedes who had served in former years under alexander the great in asia he went to the officers who had command within the city and offered his aid fear nothing said he but go on with your preparations of defence and leave the elephants to me i will answer for them if you will do as i say the officers agreed to follow his instructions he immediately caused a great number of sharp iron spikes to be made these spikes he set firmly in the ends of short stakes of wood and then planted the stakes in the ground all about the entrenchments and in the breach in such a manner that the spikes themselves points upward protruded from the ground the spikes were then concealed from view by covering the ground with straw and other similar rubbish the consequence of this arrangement was that when the elephants advanced to enter the breach they trod upon these spikes and the whole column of them was soon disabled and thrown into confusion some of the elephants were wounded so severely that they fell where they stood and were unable to rise others maddened with the pain which they endured turned back and trampled their own keepers under foot in their attempts to escape from the scene 
the breach in short soon became so choked up with the bodies of beasts and men that the assailants were compelled to give up the contest and withdrew a short time afterward polly's birchon raised the siege and abandoned the city altogether in fact the party of cassander was in the end triumphant in greece and polly's birchon determined to return to macedon in the meantime olympias had determined to come to macedon and aid polly's birchon in his contest with cassander she accordingly left epirus and with a small body of troops with which her brother alexander who was then king of epirus furnished her went on and joined polly's birchon on his return eurydice was alarmed at this since she considered olympias as her great political rival and enemy she knew very well that there could be no safety for her or her husband if olympias should obtain the ascendancy in the court of polly's birchon she accordingly began to call upon those around her in the city where she was then residing to arm themselves for her defence they did so and a considerable force was thus collected eurydice placed herself at the head of it she sent messengers off to cassander urging him to come immediately and join her she also sent an embassage to polly's birchon commanding him in the name of philip the king to deliver up his army to cassander of course this was only a form as she could not have expected that such a command would have been obeyed and accordingly after having sent off these orders she placed herself at the head of the troops that she had raised and marched out to meet polly's birchon on his return intending if he would not submit to give him battle her designs however were all frustrated in the end in a very unexpected manner for when the two armies approached each other the soldiers who were on eurydice's side instead of fighting in her cause as she expected failed her entirely at the time of trial for when they saw olympias whom they had long been accustomed almost to adore as the wife of old king philip and the mother of alexander and who was now advancing to meet them on her return to macedon splendidly attended and riding in her chariot at the head of polly's birchon's army with the air and majesty of a queen they were so overpowered with the excitement of the spectacle that they abandoned eurydice in a body and went over by common consent to polly's birchon's side of course eurydice herself and her husband philip who was with her at this time fell into polly's birchon's hands as prisoners olympias was almost beside herself with exultation and joy at having her hated rival thus put into her power she imprisoned eurydice and her husband in a dungeon so small that there was scarcely room for them to turn themselves in it and while they were thus confined the only attention which the wretched prisoners received was to be fed 
from time to time with coarse provisions thrust into them through a hole in the wall having thus made eurydice secure olympias proceeded to wreak her vengeance on all the members of the family of antipater whom she could get within her power cassander it is true was beyond her reach for the present he was gradually advancing through thessaly into macedonia at the head of a powerful and victorious army there was another son of antipater however named nicanor who was then in macedon him she seized and put to death together with about a hundred of his relatives and friends in fact so violent and insane was her rage against the house of antipater that she opened a tomb where the body of another of his sons had been interred and caused the remains to be brought out and thrown into the street the people around her began to remonstrate against such atrocities but these remonstrances instead of moderating her rage only excited it still more she sent to the dungeons where her prisoners philip and eurydice were confined and caused philip to be stabbed to death with daggers and then when this horrid scene was scarcely over an executioner came in to eurydice with a dagger a rope and a cup of poison saying that olympias sent them to her that she might choose herself by what she should die eurydice on receiving the message replied saying i pray heaven that olympias herself may one day have the like alternative presented to her she then proceeded to tear the linen dress which she wore into bandages and to bind up with these bandages the wounds in the dead body of her husband this dreadful though useless duty being performed she then rejecting all three of the means of self-destruction which olympias had offered her strangled herself by tying tight about her neck a band which she obtained from her own attire of course the tidings of these proceedings were not long in reaching cassander he was at this time in greece advancing however slowly to the northward toward macedon in coming from greece into thessaly his route lay through the celebrated pass of thermopylae he found this pass guarded by a large body of troops which had been posted there to oppose his passage he immediately got together all the ships boats galleys and vessels of every kind which he could procure and embarking his army on board of them he sailed past the defile and landed in thessaly thence he marched into macedon while cassander had thus been slowly approaching polly's Birchon and olympias had been very vigorously employed in making preparations to receive him olympias with roxana and the young alexander who was now about five years old in her train travelled to and fro among the cities of macedonia summoning the people to arms enlisting all who would enter her service and collecting money and military stores she also sent to epirus 
to a cities the king the father of pyrrhus imploring him to come to her aid with all the force he could bring polly's birchon too though separate from olympias made every effort to strengthen himself against his coming enemy things were in this state when cassander entered macedon cassander immediately divided his troops into two distinct bodies and sending one under the command of an able general to attack polly's birchon he himself went in pursuit of olympias olympias retreated before him until at length she reached the city of pydna a city situated in the southeastern part of macedon on the shore of the aegean sea she knew that the force under her command was not sufficient to enable her to offer her enemy battle and she accordingly went into the city and fortified herself there cassander advanced immediately to the place and finding the city too strongly fortified to be carried by assault he surrounded it with his army and invested it closely both by land and sea the city was not well provided for a siege and the people within very soon began to suffer for want of provisions olympias however urged them to hold out representing to them that she had sent to epirus for assistance and that Asides the king was already on his way with a large force to succour her this was very true but unfortunately for olympias cassander was aware of this fact as well as she and instead of waiting for the troops of Asides to come and attack him he had sent a large armed force to the confines between epirus and macedon to intercept these expected allies in the passes of the mountains this movement was successful the army of Asides found when they reached the frontier that the passages leading into macedonia were all blocked up by the troops of the enemy they made some ineffectual attempts to break through and then the leading officers of the army who had never been really willing to embark in the war revolted against Asides and returned home and as in the case of deeds of violence and revolution it is always safest to go through and finish the work when it is once begun they deposed Asides entirely and raised the other branch of the royal family to the throne in his stead it was on this occasion that the infant pyrrhus was seized and carried away by his friends to save his life as mentioned in the opening paragraphs of this history the particulars of this revolution and of the flight of pyrrhus will be given more fully in the next chapter it is sufficient here to say that the attempt of Asides to come to the rescue of olympias in her peril wholly failed and there was nothing now left but the wall of the city to defend her from her terrible foe in the meantime the distress in the city for want of food had become horrible olympias herself with roxana and the boy and the other ladies of the court 
lived on the flesh of horses the soldiers devoured the bodies of their comrades as they were slain upon the wall they fed the elephants it was said on sawdust the soldiers and the people of the city who found this state of things intolerable deserted continually to cassander letting themselves down by stealth in the night from the wall still olympias would not surrender there was one more hope remaining for her she contrived to dispatch a messenger to polly's birchon with a letter asking him to send a galley round into the harbour at a certain time in the night in order that she might get on board of it and thus escape cassander intercepted this messenger after reading the letter he returned it to the messenger again and directed him to go on and deliver it the messenger did so and polly's birchon sent the galley cassander of course watched for it and seized it himself when it came the last hope of the unhappy olympias was thus extinguished and she opened the gates and gave herself up to cassander the whole country immediately afterward fell into cassander's hands the friends of the family of antipater were now clamorous in their demands that olympias should be brought to punishment for having so atrociously murdered the sons and relatives of antipater while she was in power olympias professed herself willing to be tried and appealed to the macedonian senate to be her judges she relied on the ascendancy which she had so long exercised over the minds of the macedonians and did not believe that they would condemn her cassander himself feared that they would not and although he was unwilling to murder her while she was a defenceless prisoner in his hands he determined that she should die he recommended to her secretly not to take the hazard of a trial but to make her escape and go to athens and offered to give her an opportunity to do so he intended it was said if she made the attempt to intercept and slay her on the way as a fugitive from justice she refused to accede to this proposal suspecting perhaps cassander's treachery in making it cassander then sent a band of two hundred soldiers to put her to death these soldiers when they came into the prison were so impressed by the presence of the queen to whom in former years they had been accustomed to look up with so much awe that they shrank back from their duty and for a time it seemed that no one would strike the blow at length however some among the number who were relatives of those that olympias had murdered succeeded in nerving their arms with the resolution of revenge fell upon her and killed her with their swords as for roxana and the boy cassander kept them close prisoners for many years and finally feeling more and more that his possession of the throne of alexander was constantly endangered by the existence of a son of alexander caused them to be assassinated too End of chapter two